Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, coming to you from the 2022 Just for Laughs Moon Tower Comedy Festival. My sometime co-host, Miss Purrington, is resting at home. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at ComedyWham or on our ComedyWham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham! brings you articles, album reviews, our new column Rochelle takes on comedy. Have you checked out our newly renovated events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW? If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. With over 200 interviews since its launch in 2016, the podcast is your anthropology lesson in Austin comedy, bringing you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we'll usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for, for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy world as fascinating offstage as it is on stage. Please rate and review us if you're listening and enjoy our podcast. Today we are recording live on location at the Driscoll Hotel. Uh, we are talking to somebody with a long list of credits, and let me rattle off a few of them. Uh, he was one of the first content creators on YouTube before content creators was a thing. Started off as a musician and has shifted into the pursuit of stand-up comedy, and even beyond stand-up comedy. Uh, he was on George Wallace's Coming to the Stage, Season 6 in 2018. He was nominated for a Shorty Award in the Funniest YouTube Comedian category. He's had press in both Forbes and The Daily Dot. And he's got multiple podcasts with each nearing 400 episodes. Welcome to our podcast with his wife, Zo Zoya. And the Dynamic Banter <laughs> Podcast, uh, which we learned about from our friend Poster Boy, Forrest, who we met at one of the Surrounded shows. Speaking of, his Surrounded shows turn the concept of crowd work on its head, where the audience becomes the material for the show. I've now seen it twice here at Moon Tower, and it's highly addictive to watch. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Mike Falzone. That was so nice. <laughs> that was such a nice introduction. <laughs> You're I feel so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you are such an amazing individual. I'll just put that out there. Um, Thank you. I was you have reading. A very low bar. <laughs> I've, I've talked to over 200 people. So. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> very high bar. I'm very amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, I, I, there's so many places that I want to start, but I have to start with my official icebreaker. For sure. Which is, tell me one word to describe your past. Mm. One word to describe my past. Word association is supposed to be quicker than this. Right? <laughs> yeah, the crowd work guy. You're the crowd work guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Perseverance. I just keep doing stuff I yeah. just keep uh, trying to work on stuff and it's uh, you know yeah I, I became a, a stand-up comedian and I was a musician before that you have all these goals and then you figure out if your goals fit into what you really want to do or not and mm -hmm. then you just keep working towards what you want to do yeah and it's always kind of been just keep your head down and keep working type thing yeah so yeah I guess that's it. Per Perseverance is really good because some of the things that I was reading about what has happened in your life and mm. how you got to where you are today, I mean, you've, 
You've definitely persevered, buddy. Yeah. I mean, to... I, I, I just want to get get it out of the way so we can talk about For sure. the, the comedy stuff and, and all the creative stuff that you've done, but you had two near-death experiences mm-hmm. in, like, two weeks' time? Yeah. yeah got fired, which mom. is kind of like, you uh-huh. know, side note. Yeah, yeah. Um, and boy, is stuff like that going to shake your perspective on, on life. Yeah. Um, I know you've talked about it a lot already, but what... How would you describe your life at those points when when you were? Well, for a long time, I just thought I was gonna be a musician, and my parents were like, "We totally support you trying to do something creative as long as you could like pay your own way through mm-hmm. everything." So I just figured out how to do that, and I always had like a million jobs on my way to try and have a more creative job. Um, I had a few regular jobs right out of college, and I I knew that it it wasn't for me. I knew I hadn't found the right Whatever avenue, this wasn't really fulfilled or having a great time until nighttime came where I got to be a musician or whatever. I always wanted to do that full time. So can I, can I ask you because yeah. I, I read a couple of things in every place it says musician, but uh-huh. I want to know like everything um, or a specific instrument. It was mostly guitar and okay. like singing. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, so I was just kind of on track to do that, mm-hmm. and I did that for as long as it was super fun and what I thought was what I wanted to do and then eventually what happened was I just started I, I enjoyed talking to people in between the songs more than I liked playing the songs so that's kind of where the whole crowd work thing came from I would like post up in the corner of a deli or a bookstore for like three hours you know and you have to keep people entertained they don't like all your songs so you have to make sure they're still there in yeah. between so that kind of taught me the crowd work muscle right so um, I was also, I picked up YouTube at this time because in 2006 it was just kind of like another, it was a smart place to put your music because it seemed like it was picking up a lot of steam. Yeah. So I would do like covers and stuff on YouTube and, and that worked and that gets more eyes on you than just, you know, going to open mic in town or whatever. Um, and so, this was in, because you're from Connecticut. Yeah, Stratford, Connecticut. Is that where you were? Yeah, Stratford, Milford. It's all like Southern Connecticut. Okay. Um, and so I started doing that. Same thing with YouTube is I started liking just talking to the camera more than I liked, mm-hmm. you know, doing a cover of a song or putting my own music out there. And then around the time I was, I think I was 26, I got really sick. And I had appendicitis, but I didn't know exactly what it was. And my appendix ended up like bursting on the operating table, which is bad. <laughs> it's like breaking a little bag of poison inside of you. Yeah. That's how they explained it to, to us. And, um, you know, it was kind of dramatic. I was asleep through most of it. It was passed out Thank or goodness. whatever. Yeah, yeah. right? Um, but I guess at one point they came out and they told my dad, like, I don't know if he's going to make it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think, you know, I was so young. I was 26. and yeah. I felt fine aside from that. And that's kind of like a like a weird dramatic soap opera thing to happen and then that kind of got cleared up and then I had like a it caused like a sepsis of my entire body which is like there were all these I can't explain it medically but it's you know my my insides were all messed up (laughs) and then uh, I think as a complication from that or like an infection or whatever it was I ended up getting a, a blood clot and a pulmonary embolism 
which is when you know uh, blood clot goes from wherever it originates from. They think it was from my my abdomen, from the sepsis thing, but it goes up to your lungs, and that could kill you. It goes to your lungs, or your heart, or your brain, and your that's you know why people die out of nowhere sometimes. So they put me on like intravenous blood thinners, and then I was on like pill blood thinners for a long time after that. That got cleared up. Um, while I was in the hospital, kind of like in between stints in the hospital, I got fired from this job that I, I really wanted at the time. And that's the part of the story I always forget about because I, you know, ever since then I kind of haven't had a boss or I haven't had a, you know, a job where you have to go in and answer to someone because I was so like jaded and angry from that whole experience. So I just decided to double down on like YouTube stuff and, and podcast stuff and doing as many shows as I could possibly have to have as much income as possible um, to be able to like be a professional creative person for the rest of my life and then that has like somehow I've been able to find a way to keep doing that and uh, and it's still going so yeah that's that that's all part of my life you have these two podcasts but when we were talking to um Poster boy, oh. Forrest, we know your name. <laughs> I'm just meaning you came. He came to your surrounded show last yeah. night with a two with a poster that he wanted you sign. Yeah, it was yeah. just very sweet that uh-huh. he he did that. Um, he got roasted for it too. He did get roasted for it. Yeah, <laughs> not he, by me, well, but by everybody. Else. <laughs> uh, these are not the only podcasts you've had. Like you're just mm. you. When which? What was your first podcast? Um, I think. Uh, we were pretty early adapters to, to podcasting. Me and my wife, we had this podcast called Welcome to the Podcast. Uh-huh. That's how early we, we yeah, are. We were able to have a name that. like that. And um, we When were you were on... still just boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We moved in together. And I. there was this long time I had this really cool gig called Tweet Tap where I don't even remember how I got it. But they found me on YouTube and they were like, if they had a producer that sent me like six tweets to like comment on every day Uh and I would film for like 15 minutes straight and then I'd send them the raw footage and they'd cut it up and um, this website uh, what was the website Waywire they there was a show called Tweets at the time and uh, it was the best gig in the world and she would always kind of be in the background and once in a while she would bring me coffee and they would like blur out her face and they'd put like a coffee mug with a smiley face over there so she just became this character called like coffee girl basically oh that's the connection yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that yeah and that always takes a little bit of explaining yeah that, without knowing the origin story <laughs> like why doesn't your wife have a name yeah why does your wife have a wrestling name <laughs> but uh yeah, that job ended, as all the best jobs do, and we decided we wanted to keep making stuff together, so we made this podcast, and then the server we were on were, was kind of wonky after a while, so when we switched servers, we had to change the name. That became Welcome to Our Podcast, and that's still going today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have like 400 episodes. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. And it's just us talking to each other. Yeah. 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 It's not anything super niche or specific, uh-huh. but if you like two East Coast people that are kind of like no BS and it, it's weird how it kind of you know if you're thinking about moving to LA especially if you're if you're with a partner it would be kind of interesting and, um, to listen to all those back because we we do go through the whole process of like being super nervous to move away from like you know we're very north east coast people yeah. 
So uh, we never thought we'd live in LA, but after getting sick or whatever, I was like, well, if I'm going to be a creative professional, might as well do it in one of the two places that you have the best chance of you know, following through and being able to make a career out of it, which is New York or LA. From music, I was already kind of burnt out going back and forth from um, Connecticut to New York. So we decided to move to LA and that's kind of like, it documents our whole like, you know, getting there and like, you know, honestly being very lonely and not knowing exactly what we're gonna do for money. And then now it's like, she started her own, uh, my wife Zoya, she started her own, um, Salon. She has her own salon now in, in Santa Monica, which is huge. And yeah, um, I stalked her Instagram page because yeah. I was doing all, you know, this is she's what I do good. when I'm researching and <laughs> yeah, all the yeah. pictures she has. And yeah. it's like, wow. That's yeah, she's very, very cool. she'd be impressed with you saying that because she's like, I don't post enough and, and all that <laughs> stuff. She does need to get better at that part, but she's incredibly good at what she does. And uh, we both figured out a way to, to keep being there, which, like, in L.A., we've been there for, like, nine years now. So okay. that's kind of, like, an accomplishment in itself to not have moved back home yeah. yet. So. Yeah. It's just, you know, here we've seen some some people, because Austin wasn't always, like, the it for comedy sure. city yeah. that it has become. But we'd, we'd see people leave, and then they'd kind of come back. Yeah. Some some are able to, to land in, mm-hmm. in the cities that, that they move to. It's a hard place to be. So I don't, I never, uh, especially now, especially like after the pandemic, during the pandemic, I, you know, no shame to people who move there and decide it's not for them and then go somewhere else because it's such a weird place. It's such a drastic like culture shock, especially if you're from somewhere like the middle of the country or, um, or you know, the East Coast where people are so much different. And uh, I heard you talking to Rojo about how people are so much different from, you know, it varies from New York to L.A. so much. So I've seen a lot of people move out, especially from L.A. during the pandemic. And I, I look at their social media feeds and they're so much happier now <laughs> so like good for you for like coming and trying it deciding yeah. that it wasn't for you yeah. and like yeah. going somewhere else yeah. Yeah. And it, it must have been nice for you to go with somebody that you could you know they're going through the Absolutely. exact same experience so you create like this little I, I get the it, it was lonely at first because here you are Connecticut Connecticut uh-huh. <laughs> yeah sure not even gonna try <laughs> they call them um, nutmeggers <laughs> Nutmeggers? Yeah, they don't, nobody, we don't call ourselves that, but uh-huh. it's the nutmeg state, I guess. Funny. And Connecticutians was too, yeah. <laughs> it's too much nobody for everybody. Can say it. Nobody can say it. <laughs> but to go into this, you know, go from there to, to LA and you have somebody that you can commiserate and oh, celebrate yeah. with and, yeah. you know, bitch about the, the traffic and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And then since you were podcaster video content creator and then shifting into comedy you're going into one of the hardest comedy scenes oh yeah in the country (laughs) and to break into that holy cow yeah i mean it was i remember when i first got there i was uh well first of all not good because I would just I would go to open mics when I could in Connecticut, which at the time there's so much stuff now, but there was nothing back then, and um, I would have to take the train to New York City and go and figure out that I wasn't good in New York City, then take the train, you know, two hours back. Your it was about, bad. Yeah. It was bad. It was very depressing. You get your ego checked every every you know however often you can get up there, which wasn't super often. And then we moved here, 
and uh, you know I tried to go to open mics all the time and had some like bad experiences at open mics because I just wasn't good then I stopped going for a while and I remember one day my wife was like we didn't move 3,000 miles away from everyone we love and who cares about us for you to not you know go so um, I ended up going like every night after that until I, I got good and I Luckily, I was just talking about this the other night. I had some good run-ins with some cool bringer bookers. I'm sure you know all about bringer shows by this point. It's like they're either good or bad, depending on who's booking them and and how you use them. But I had a couple people that kind of took a liking to me for whatever reason and was like, you know, if you want to come every Wednesday, come. We'll give you five minutes. You don't have to bring anybody, whatever. This is after, you know, you exhaust all your friendships and all your relationships. So they, you know, they milk you for for everything you have. But then they're like, either don't come back or come back and make the show better or whatever. So I would go every week, like twice a week to this one show in particular. This guy, TK, booked me. And, uh... TK, who actually has a club down here now, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I kind of learned to, like, bomb and be very comfortable bombing. And my favorite thing to do was, I was like, I know what I'm going to start with and I know what I'm going to end with. But in the middle, I have no idea uh-huh. what's going to happen. So I got to do that for, like, a long time. And I think I kind of earned my my chops or whatever from doing that. And... Um, you know, eventually you just keep getting better and better and you earn your way into other rooms. You do good in front of people who want you on their shows and stuff like that. And it's kind of just been that over and over again for eight, nine years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take a wild leap. As somebody who starts off wanting to be a musician, where the first things you do are practice other people's material. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you graduate to either creating your own material or just being really good at covering or whatever yeah what did you bring to those first times that you performed stand-up not much pretty much the same things that every as much as it sucks the same things that every young like white guy does at open mic which is just like dick jokes dick jokes and you try to be gross so you talk about sex and you talk about hey I know what I look like I look like this (laughs) under (laughs) there and it's all the same everybody makes the same mistakes and uh, I remember going to like a panel when I found out what JFL was and and you know comics were asking them obviously how to get booked and stuff and they talked about the importance of like finding your voice and your perspective and and who you are and I had never really thought about it uh, any of that type of approach until that um, meeting or or seminar or whatever it was and then I was like wow I got to figure out how I feel about stuff and I was you know late later 20s by this point mid to late 20s so I was like I you know I have some perspective on some stuff so I kind of shifted my focus a little bit for you start um, when you've done all the YouTube stuff and I I, was, I couldn't absorb all of the material you have it's on your YouTube channel yeah, yeah, yeah. you're used to being <laughs> <laughs> no you're used to being creative so was was stand up like this completely far apart thing from this and you were compartmentalizing and that's why you said well I don't know what I'm doing I always just thought I was too I always loved stand up from like a very young age my dad was a big like Richard Pryor fan Mm. and Steve Martin so we had the records and all that and we had a bunch of um, taped episodes of Rodney Dangerfield used to have 
a show on HBO where he used to showcase three or four comedians uh-huh. at a night. And I just thought I was too dumb for that. Because huh. I, I didn't even know they were, like, writing material. I just thought these people were, these funny people were getting on stage and just saying stuff. And I remember thinking that that, that was such a, a cool skill to have. I was like, I'll never be able to do that. Um, but I loved music, and I came from kind of a musical family, so I did that for a long time. And then uh, it was kind of a logical progression after that. Like I said before, just like falling in love with the, connecting with the audience and talking with them in between the uh, the songs and stuff like that. And it kind of like, you know, after a while, I kind of describe it like, I knew I wasn't going to get phenomenal at the guitar. Like there are people who just pick up the guitar and learn stuff real quick or adapt to music theory or like shred. And I was kind of like, I was like, this is my plateau of skill. I'm not going to put in any more effort. I'm going to do whatever I can with like the skills that I have. But when I started getting into stand-up and falling in love with it, I was like, I never want to stop getting better at this. There's no like plateau. Um, there's no real competition the way I look at it. It's just like with myself. I want to be better than myself all the time. So that is kind of like a... You know, it's like a self-fulfilling thing. Like, that doesn't run out. You could always be better than your yeah. last show. So, um, yeah, there's, like, no ceiling. I just kind of fell in love with doing that mm-hmm. way more than the music stuff. Yeah. yeah. Have you tried to bring the music and, and the comedy together? At the beginning. Yeah. But now, it's just not what I, I want to do for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, I had that question for, like, a long time. And there are people who do it very well. Like, my buddy Morgan J is really good at it. And there are so many people before him. Um, but I was—I think I was just done with the guitar. I was playing guitar ever since I was like 11 or 12. And I still don't play that much. And it makes me sad sometimes because I, I had so many good memories doing that. But um, just not something I want to do. I'm like, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I want to see if I could do this the way like you're supposed to do it. And then from there, it's like... I'll fuck it up from there. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out uh, whichever way I'm going to do it. You know, in my own way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, LA is, you know, when I look at, well, every time I dare to look at the Comedy Bureau and see the millions and millions of shows that uh-huh. happen in and around LA, uh, you know, people are producing and creating new stuff all the time. At what point did you start thinking, oh, I, I'd like to because you're creating these YouTube channels and mm-hmm. videos and series, at what point did you feel like you had the confidence or like you were ready to tackle creating a comedy show? Um, I think when I... There's only so many uh, crowd workshops. I think it's just like me and Jeremiah Watkins who do a crowd Stand workshop. On the spot. And he's a good buddy of mine. I actually take the photos for, for all of his shows. You do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love Jeremiah. He's the best. He, we've every year since for five years. This is going to be our fifth year where we sit down and talk to him. Good. And you've seen what he's been doing in the last five years. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. now this was the first year we had to talk through his manager. Oh <laughs> yeah, him, that's good. He's you know, big make time sure you guys. He's big time now. It's like it may be less and less time I get to talk to you, but yeah. I'm going to talk to you every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. He's the best, and he's yeah. been so so helpful this whole time. And, you know, in the process of, like, finding your voice and, and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, um, you know, like, some people look down on crowd work and mm-hmm. it's some people's favorite thing. And because I don't care what anybody else thinks, I knew that I was going to do yeah. it. And then I just needed an opportunity to do it. 
And then I think a lot of people in LA start shows because maybe they're not getting booked as much as they'd yeah. like to, and they were like, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so I'm gonna create my own space to do it. Yeah. So uh, we did. It used to be called the Friends and Friends show, mm-hmm. and um, one day I just walked into the the Hollywood Improv Lab, and somebody had you know arranged the chairs to to be. Um, like around in the middle of the room, so I was like, "This is where we have to do the friends and friends show because it's perfect. It's a crowd work show. It's in the you're in the audience. What could be you know better than that?" Yeah. Um, and so it's just been that. Um, so the first show that you ever produced was this surrounded. Show. No, it was the friends and friends show was more like it was a traditional setup, okay. but it was a crowd work show. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Then you decided I'm gonna just. Drop the traditional show part. Right, right. I'd like to be in the audience. I'd like to be watching the show and uh, on the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, was, I was trying to think of, of what it feels like to sit in the audience of that show. And I'm, I keep going back to you starting off as a musician. And I'm like, it's like the spotlight is on the center and they're uh-huh. riffing their guitar solo and you're the center of attention yeah. and yet you're not the center of attention. Right. It's like everyone's looking. tuning their guitars yeah. for <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long did it take before uh, people started tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I really want to do this show. The show is really cool and fun. Um, I think word of mouth spreads really easy mm. because... You know, I think there's something to, like Jeremiah's show, like so much of it is in the way that you start it and, mm-hmm. and who the host is and how much fun the host is having. Yeah. And it's always been my favorite thing to just talk to people off the top of my head. So I go up and I kind of try to set the tone and I show people that you can have a good time. You don't have to go after the audience. You make jokes like yeah. with them instead of at them, you know. So... Um, the comedians, once they got off stage, is I, I would hit up a bunch of my friends who wouldn't do crowd work. And then they would be, you know, they'd call me that night or right after they got off stage sometimes and be like, thank you so much for making me do that. I was super nervous. And I would always be like, just listen to it. It's way more of an exercise in listening than it is like, you know, trying to be quick. It's, it's all part of it. But all my friends are funny. And in casual conversation, they're so funny. Yeah. So I was like, just ask them stuff and listen and respond, and it's going to be good. And then, like, you know, my friends will call me weeks down the road and when they're out on tour or whatever, and they're like, I do so much crowd work now, and thank you so much for, like, oh. giving me that experience. And that's the best, and that's kind of when I figured that it was turning into something a little bit more special. And then as we got honed in with the exact format and the setup and the seating arrangement at the improv, it just became more and more fun. And then the pictures look fun and the video clips look fun and people see that and now everybody wants to do the show and that's and that's awesome. Yeah. Very thankful yeah. for that. Do you have a standout memory of, of a moment? How many years now has the show been going? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a, a good question for somebody who has um, the mental capacity <laughs> to hold dates and stuff like that. But it's been at least a couple years of, um, you know, also the pandemic kind of screws yeah. up your, your sense of time. Can't do crowd work shows. No, no. <laughs> so, especially like this. But, um... Yeah, we started definitely before the pandemic, going for at least a year before the pandemic and, and just picking it back up now. But so many good memories. 
um, you know, Ellen Makovsky always did well, which she didn't know if she was going to do well. Hannah Einbinder, um, Alex Hooper, one night when we came back, we were in the round, and he's great to close off the show, especially, because he's out of his mind. And he's really, really good at, you know, just messing with people. And I remember the whole night, everyone was like, singing along and like scream singing to the Titanic song My Heart Will Go On and Alex is like taking off his clothes in the middle of the room and like I pictured a bunch of people just like walking in from the bathroom like not really knowing what was happening but there's always something like that that happens it's never a boring show you know I think I curate like Jeremiah will tell you it's so much in the curation process and like everybody wants to do it but you've got to pick a real um, special lineup to to just have the greatest show possible. So I take a lot of pride in, in curating people who I think will do a great job. Mm-hmm. Even if they, you know, either I have seen you do uh, crowd work and you do a great job, I'm like, I gotta have you. Or I haven't seen you do it, but I think you'd be really good at it yeah. and I have pretty good instincts with that. So, I mean, they're all good and there's something special that comes out of every one of them. I always thought that especially after the pandemic where we're like kind of isolated from each other that people would really appreciate a show where it's unique to them it's never going to happen again like you can see someone set a thousand times and that's special in itself and I'm not taking anything away from that but there is something about like this happens tonight only yeah you know and it'll never be the same after this yeah and also the interaction parts like everyone was locked away from each other and now you're getting talked to you're part of a, a show that's already fun mm-hmm. so um i just think it's a special thing for a bunch of different reasons and it's like my favorite thing yeah. in the world yeah yeah you you have seemed and come off as so humble about you know uh-huh. the, the success of the show and uh-huh. i can you take me to the moment where you got the tap on the shoulder by the new tower jfl folks to come to this festival? um so spencer griffin is a, a buddy of mine who came out to one of the shows and me and spencer play basketball together mm. And I guess everyone I play basketball with is a comedy writer or in some kind of writer. I don't ask anyone uh-huh. what they do because we're just trying not to be fat playing uh-huh. basketball. <laughs> so um, he showed up at one of the shows one day and he's like, this is great. And I was like, oh, thanks for coming. I thought it was just like a basketball friend. Yeah. And he's like, well, I work for JFL and I want to try to make this into a TV show if we can. Like, how would you feel about going to Moon Tower and shooting a sizzle reel? So that's tonight. That's what we're doing tonight. Yeah. But he was the one who, you know, hooked me up with Colleen and all the people who make the decisions. Yeah. And they were gracious enough to, to have me. And, um, and then Rita at the Improv did the same thing for the Netflix is a joke festival so as soon as I get home from this maybe a week passes then we do the same thing at the Netflix is a joke festival um so that's it It just like always like word of mouth you know now it's just people in in different positions that could open up some doors and stuff like that so again from my perspective I'm always just trying to make sure the show is good and fun I'm not too outwardly pressing it has to be a tv show or whatever but if somebody with that vision sees it and wants to help us make it something different or something bigger i'm excited about Mm -hmm. whatever might come of that yeah Mm -hmm. how do you balance you've got this really great concept of a show and and you're booking producing and Mm -hmm. you know taking care of it but also keep moving forward with the stand-up 
part of, of yourself? Well, it's it's everything's always happening at once, like everything, even the podcasting and the content creation stuff. It's like everything's just all at once. And that was the skill I learned from like back in the day when my mom was like, as long as you can pay the bills, you know, so I always had to have like four jobs at once. So mm. it's not a foreign thing to be like juggling all yeah. this stuff. Um, and at the same time, I'm not just crowd work. I like I, I try to make my material as good as possible. And I always try to keep in mind like the point of view and the perspective and stuff. And what could I say that is special to me and maybe everybody doesn't have the, the same ideas or whatever. So I'm always trying to work at that at the same time. And my style has become like when I do an hour, it's like crowd work that leads into written material. And it's that's kind of like my perfect style of, you know, that's that's what it's morphed into after a while. So working on both things at once, you know, like the crowd work stuff is very like it's personality driven and it's like timing driven and like listening before, like I said before. And then the material is all like, OK, now I slow down. I try to gain some perspective on like how do I feel about stuff so it's two different mindsets but I like combining the two things I'm like yeah. yeah have you done a lot of road work yeah 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 even uh, recently there's another guy that's here his name is Olin Rogers he's more of like a storyteller and uh, and he took me on what would be my first um, like theater tour mm. so we just got off of that like two weeks ago or something and that was awesome. And I was uh, featuring for him every night. Wow. And, uh, you know, because it's... The longer sets are kind of harder to come by in uh, in L.A. Mm -hmm. So you got to go on the road and see if you do a half hour and see if you can do an hour. And, uh, again, that's my favorite, being able to travel and see the country. Yeah. And do longer sets, it's it's the best. But, yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep going, going back to Surrounded, but Surrounded feels like such an intimate show. Mm -hmm. And you're thrown into a theater where you can't see all of the faces. Does that is that jarring to you ever, or was it? No, I'm kind of used to it. Um, and you could literally like you're in the center of the room. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's aware of each other because how mm -hmm. the room is set up. You could just do whatever you want. Like yeah. you could talk to somebody in the dark. You can physically go out to them if you can get out of the circle yeah. and you could really make it whatever you want yeah. so it's not like obviously that first row of people always gets hammered because yeah. <laughs> that's you know the spotlight is yeah. on them they basically are the stage at that uh -huh. point but it's really like there's no limit um I even get people, like comics who are newer to the show, at the end of the show, will be like, who hasn't been talked to yet? And I'm like, dude, you could talk to one couple all night and find out a million different things yeah. about them. Like, there's no, you know, limit. You don't have to ask them where they work or where they got yeah. their hat or how they started dating. Like, you don't have to do that to everyone. There's a billion questions. You yeah. can find out whatever about these people. You know? right. So there's infinite possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a weird audience oh, they're reaction all weird. to the, <laughs> to the all question. Weird. It's such an awkward position to put somebody yeah. in. Every interaction super weird. There's always someone who's super drunk. Or, I'm trying to think of any good super weird stories. Um, you know, making a correct assumption about what somebody does for a job mm. is always really funny. You know, you, you go into all different kinds of like you meet people from all walks of life. People have different relationships. Yeah. Like, you know, just romantic relationships, throuples, 
you families who you think they're dating but they're not <laughs> it's really you know and that's what makes the show so special it's like the material you're like you're seated in the or the comedian's in the middle of all the material yeah. and you're kind of just picking and choosing what you want to unearth from this yeah. group of people so it's nice is, is going on tour and doing the theater stuff something you'd like to, to keep doing? Do you know, you, um, I kind of learned through this these last couple weeks that I don't think I'm a theater comedian per se because I do like the crowd work stuff so mm-hmm. much. So if I'm in a room of like 400 people and I talk to somebody in the second row about their shirt or whatever, yeah. you know, the, it's lost on the balcony or yeah. the mezzanine section. It's just not the same. It's a different type of a show. Mm-hmm. So I would rather do like seven shows in one weekend to 150 people or 200 people or less than, you know, one big four or 500 seat mm-hmm. theater. It's just what I like more. Yeah. At some point, though, as your, the star rises, like mm-hmm. you're almost forced into those... Those bigger and bigger. I venues. suppose, I suppose, but I'd like to keep that. I mean, now that I know what that feels like and how it works with my style, yeah. it's like you, you, for so long you, I was trying to figure out my style and what makes me the happiest on stage, and mm-hmm. it is going back and forth between the material and talking to people. Yeah. So I'd just like to keep that. If that's what makes it special, I'd like to keep that going. Yeah. There's this one theater I keep talking about in Chicago. It's the Den Theater. And I'd never been there before, but it's beautiful. The, they have the set dressed like a, uh, just like an old living room. Like there's books and there's couches on stage. And the stage kind of comes out. So there's people on almost all sides of you, even though you're not completely surrounded. And then the stage comes out to like a circle where you feel like the audience is all around oh you. Oh my God, you must and I'm like, love that. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was the best. And... Uh, I, I think if I ever do a, a special, especially like a, a crowd work special, I think I want to do it there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are places that's suited for it. I just don't know that. Like like we did the Gramercy Theater, and that's beautiful. And it was so awesome to be able to do that. And I think especially if it's like straight material, that's awesome. You want the biggest and baddest places. Like you see Sebastian in these, or Fluffy in these arenas or whatever. And that's so cool. But I just don't know if it's my specific thing. Yeah. I'll share an observation that I had because I go to L.A. every once in a while and I I saw, to put a pen in your story, that I've seen Sebastian at the store. Yeah. Loved the experience. And then he came through Austin and uh, I saw him at a massive concert hall venue. And I'm like, it doesn't work for me. Like, there's some performers, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but for me, it was like, I'd much rather see him in that small venue, because, you know, he's talking about his life, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you connect more to somebody talking about their family um, when it's a smaller setting. Yeah, So yeah. Those, I mean, the theater shows, and I can't even imagine, it's probably another level with, like, an arena show. Yeah. But the timing is different, and the laughs are different. You have to time out your jokes differently. And so much of being funny, especially being funny specific to who you are, is your timing. I had a friend in college say that nothing that I said was was funny, but my timing was perfect. So it's so important. Um, and I could see, especially at the comedy store, like, you know, the main room is, is what it is. It's a beautiful room. Obviously, it's historic. And then the original room, 
you know, it's a tougher room, but it's like, I've sat as an audience member there so many times, and it's like you're at a party, but one person gets up and is just like the leader of the party. And it's such a special feeling that I don't know if you get in like a theater. It's more of like, you see plays in the theater, you see, you know, big, um, like productions. And personally, I don't think my thing is a big production. I don't think I have a big production personality. I think it's like the guy at the party, you know, that you're talking to in the corner for three hours for some reason. (laughs) So, yeah, I'd like to continue doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, another podcast that you're currently uh, doing, I I learned about it last night. Mm -hmm. So this morning I was listening to Dynamic Banter. Sorry. And it was so funny and so goofy. Mm -hmm. And it's also nearing 400 episodes. How did that show come about? Um, longest possible story short, I met um, Steve Zaragoza through this job I had on YouTube hosting this channel called Sourcefit, which was kind of like a comedy news channel, even though we shouldn't have been talking about the news because none of us are qualified. So. <laughs> there was no reason why you would have to listen to anybody's opinion on that show. But we loved working together. and It was also kind of a branched off into like nerdy stuff, right? So me and Steve, we get along really well. Um, I was just talking before about how, um, you know, there is a loneliness you feel when you move across the country, uh, moving away from all your friends who, like, you laugh all night with, and you you laugh with your friends differently than you laugh with an acquaintance or somebody you've known for a couple months or whatever. And I laughed with Steve when we got together. Like, I used to laugh with my best friends from back home. So that was a super special thing. We ended up really bonding over our love of this movie, Cloverfield. Uh, and we were nerding out so hard over this Cloverfield movie. So we were talking about it one day. We were like, we should have a podcast where we just talk about Cloverfield and nothing else. So we have this podcast called Cloverfields, which was somehow picked up by the HeadGum Network without any, like, pretense. They weren't like, let us hear uh, whatever. We were just like, this is going to be awesome. And they picked us up right away at a show of faith. And um, so we got tired of that eventually. After the third movie came out, it wasn't that good. The Cloverfield Paradox. So we were like, what if we want to keep doing this, but it's just uh, it's just us. It's like, it's the same podcast, but not about Cloverfield. Um, so luckily, people like that a lot. And they just like us bullshitting with each other because we do have that like best friend relationship. And, uh, and that's been going this whole time. We've gotten to tour that a little bit. And that's going on like six or seven years. So it's a great job to have. Every time somebody, like Forrest, the poster boy, every time I meet somebody like that, I'm like, I can't believe you've been listening for so long and you have this poster and you want to bring it to your show to get it signed and stuff like that. So it's very special, I think. And I'll never take this for granted because I have been making stuff for the internet for so long. It's like... You could have a job where somebody else is your boss and they tell you what to talk about, or you could have a job where you do whatever you want and there's no guarantee that you're going to have a, an audience because you're just doing whatever you want. Yeah. And to have a job that kind of pays the bills where you legit talk about whatever you want with your friends is very special. I don't think I've ever taken it for granted one day in the past six years. So it's very special to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, it was very fun, and it's 
now subscribed. So. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you might regret it at one point. <laughs> I don't know. Poster Boy Forrest, he was. He, he gave the, yeah. the nod. Yeah, yeah. It's a good vouch to have, yeah. <laughs> Forrest. <laughs> yeah, I went and we uh, were at the Bad Friends last night. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's. It, it can be very cultish for fans when for they sure. really connect and they're friends and that's how it all began. And yeah. you know. It's so many hours of unedited conversation. Like you can't hide your personality yeah. when you talk for hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours. And so people are either, you know, they click with you and then you're in, like they would be in with any of their friends. Yeah. Or they figure out it's not for them and, and they bounce. But the people who stick around, it's like... That it's a different kind of fandom than I've ever experienced with anything else. This is very personal. They feel like they know you. You said that you've taken that out on tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was that before COVID or since? Okay. Yeah, we went to first place we ever did it was Nashville. We did it in the Olin Rogers um, soda parlor Mm -hmm. before it got destroyed by a tornado, and uh, that was really awesome. And then more recently, we did it um, at the Crystal Ballroom in Boston and then we did it at the Bell House in New York and that was awesome really awesome almost felt like a rock and roll show almost so uh, yeah the plan is to keep doing that as well because it's so it's so re-energizing to to meet people it's like especially in the nine years just you know, sometimes you get tired and, and drink because there's no break from anything. Like, stand-up is every night and podcasts are every week no matter what. So I would go out and I would meet fans and then automatically the battery would yeah. recharge and you're like, oh, these are the people that we're doing it for, you know? It's so energizing to meet the people who've been listening for so long. Yeah, because so, you're recording in a studio. Yeah, you don't get to see them Remotely all the time. or whatever mm-hmm. and then to see, oh, wow, people are really listening to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very motivating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, side note: mm-hmm. You're an accomplished photographer too. Mm-hmm. Do you do that as? Do you still do that? Because it looked oh, like all the time. yeah. Yeah. If you know. Other uh, than for Jeremiah. Yeah. Just learned, yeah. Yeah. No, I have a bunch of shows that I shoot, um, and that's part of. I don't know how many comedians talk about like just being out is so important, especially when you're starting you just have to be everywhere and you have to make sure everybody's aware of you and like the people who book don't like the people who are just in their house and and want to do stand-up like you got to be out you got to be coming to shows and um the older that i got i'm kind of like if i go out i want to have a purpose i don't want to just go out to go out so i started bringing my camera and even in Connecticut, it was one of the many ways I, I made money back in the day. So I would um, be like a wedding photographer, a second shooter, doing headshots for, for people in bands, even way back when, back home, right? So I was like, if I, I want to be out, I don't want to be out for no reason. I'm not a huge drinker, so I'm not just going to go to the bar and drink. So I, I would be out and I would bring my camera to hopefully add some value to the show and I would take a bunch of pictures and then I'd send them to everyone um, the next day, the comedians and the booker of the show and then eventually they'd either say thanks and that's it or they'd hire me but you know it was kind of my way of networking. I'm very bad at networking like traditionally. I can't schmooze with people much to the you know chagrin of every manager I've ever had (laughs) and it's like it's not a good move 
professionally my style of, of networking but I was like dude I love photography I think I'm good at it I love the process of editing the photos I like making my friends look really good I know that that is helpful you know with Instagram and everything it's helpful for people to have uh, really nice uh, photos of themselves so I loved being able to do that and provide some value and I still get hired to do it it's very nice so if you were to turn this into advice, because I'm sure amongst the land of the comics who are starting out, mm. who don't know how to, you know, sell themselves out there, what what would be a piece of, of advice if you're just not comfortable with that schmoozing process to get noticed and booked? And well, it's almost like you you have to do it. You know, you have to be out. You have to people book who is in front of you, mm-hmm. and then you know people shit on bringer shows all the time but if you think about it it's like every show is a bringer show and if you want to get stage time elsewhere if you want the bigger rooms and uh, to book you it's like you got to be able to sell tickets like that's still a building with employees and and chicken fingers and you have to bring people to the building to drink and eat chicken fingers you know so I would definitely say one of the things that bums me out about a lot of people starting it's like it was it was never a thing for me to to be doing YouTube and to be making videos for like whatever it was at the time Instagram TikTok and then I see people who just want to go out and just be stand-up comedians and I'm like that's great that you want that and hopefully you're working really hard at that but it's not like 1992 anymore there's not 12 stand-up comedians it's like you have to build your own audience because if you go around town and you get doors slammed in your face a lot more of those doors are going to open up a lot faster if you're like well I could bring 500 people to your building where do those 500 people come from like well I've been doing this podcast for three years or I have this YouTube series that blew up or this these fans from TikTok or whatever and you have to be able to provide some value to the show and and um, to the establishments that that want to book you because you know it's a business and I see a lot of people who are like oh I don't have time for this and it's like you got to make time anyone can be a stand-up comedian you can go to an open mic tomorrow and be like I'm a stand-up comedian but the thing that sets you apart is how you're gonna outwork everybody and and how you know you can be your own gatekeeper really if you build up your own audience and you kind of like force yourselves into these rooms because you could do well for the the business of stand-up comedy yeah. you know so say don't be lazy as hard as it is you know I've said no to a lot of things I always remember there's this um weird John Mayer interview from back in the day I don't remember where it was it was from like much music or something that said like you're coming up you're gonna say no to like a lot of parties and going out but the parties get a lot better when you're when you're like where you want to be that's 100% true and I've said no to to friends I've lost so many friendships like fair weather friendships just because like I can't go out and then people stop asking you to go out like well what are you doing every now and then? I gotta be out either have a show or I have to take pictures or whatever yeah. and you sacrifice a lot of the interpersonal relationships to to get where you want to get in this job specifically yeah. so um and it's so much fun once you're there and once you're you're part of it and like accepted into the the community and people asking you to do stuff every night it's like life does get a lot better yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because hopefully you're building friendships with the people who understand what you're going through. Exactly, and so, they're doing the same thing, yeah. you know, so yeah. 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 Do you have a favorite thing that you like about being a performer? It's all great. Um, you're so optimistic, come on. No, it really is. I'm not one of those comedians who's like, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I don't have a chip on my shoulder about any of that. And I was talking to a friend yesterday who's staying in town, and they were like, I see a lot of comedians, and they're like, I don't know if they're happy to be there. And I'm like, with some comedians, like, that's their thing. It's like their whole set is like, you know what grinds my gears type thing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then he was like, when I watch you, you just, you, it's like you're having such a good time. I'm like, I am. It's the best. Yeah. My job is to, like, make people happy, you know? And that's kind of all I've ever wanted to do, especially after, you know, the big thing that, that came out of me being sick was that, you know, it kind of puts time in perspective when a doctor tells you you might die, yeah. you know? So I just wanted to, like, save other people time. And if people want to spend their time with me, I want it to be the best possible whatever. And I don't want to talk about things that make me depressed or things that I, I hate or whatever. Like, I want to make sure everybody has a good time because yeah. you choose to spend your time with me, you know? So that's my favorite. People just coming and having a good time. The Surrounded show in the iteration it's in right now, I love that. I love being able to see the country. A lot of times my wife will go with me when she's not super busy, which is not, you know, all the time. But um, it's just great being able to see the country and, and meet these people who, like, listen to or watch the things that you do. It's very fulfilling. So it really, it's a corny answer, but it really is all I think it's all great. Even the, the puzzle of, like, taking apart jokes like you write a joke and you're like I think this is funny and then you do it in front of people and you realize which parts are not or which parts are and uh, putting this word here and like rearranging an idea so many times until it's like perfect I, I love all of it it's my favorite so if I asked you is there anything you don't like about being a performer other people <laughs> <laughs> oh that's gonna make it tough for you to book shows no i know it doesn't matter um uh let's see what don't i like i don't know like i said i'm, I'm bad at networking i don't like fake conversation um especially in la i'm not really you know, I've gone through all, like, the hack L.A. experiences yeah. where you think these people are your friends, but they're really just trying to do one thing yeah. or another. And I don't like that. Like, that's high school shit. Yeah. And as, like, a, you know, somebody who's 37, I'm not really in the business of, like, I don't want to listen to your jokes in casual conversation. I don't want to... I don't want to, like, pretend we're something so we can get each other stuff. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't yeah. need any more friends. You know, I have Zoya. I have the handful of friends that I have. And I don't need to, like, be fake. I really yeah. appreciate getting to know people really and truly. And uh, and I like that part. So I don't like the superficial yeah. parts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that is tough. You picked a city that that's tough to insulate yourself I did from. do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, good thing that you've got a partner that, you know, is, is also going through the same thing. Right, and, right, right. I mean, if she's in... <clears throat> 
in hairdressing, then oh, you she know, does she's all those dealing things. with Yeah, all. for sure. She listens, and they're there, you know? They're yeah. like, they're in the chair until uh-huh. they're done. Yeah. So she has to, like, she also has very good crowd work skills. Yeah. Right. Mm. Has she ever been on, on the show? She hosted once. I remember I broke my ankle. And oh, so she had to host one of geez. the Friends and Friends shows because I couldn't get up on the stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she was so nervous. She has this nervous tick where she'll, like, rub her knuckles on her jeans. Uh-huh. And then she almost, like, wore a hole through her jeans. <laughs> and I was like, I promise I'll never make you do that. Oh. <laughs> but she loves coming to the shows. She, yeah. You know, all the comedians love her because she's very East Coast. She's no bullshit. She's Albanian, so you don't really want to fuck uh. with her. And, uh, yeah, another very, like... Very real, very authentic yeah. personality. Yeah. Very good, very good. It seems like you have surrounded yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, we're going to start wrapping up. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? We talked about so much. We covered a lot of ground. I think we got everything. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that comes through. It really does. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, it was great to meet you guys. Thank you so much for coming to the shows and for inviting me to do this. I really appreciate it. So here we go. Uh My closing question. Uh One word to describe your future. Oh God, perseverance. (laughs) 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 Take the easy way out and double up. Yeah, it doesn't change. Just keep your head down and keep mm-hmm. getting better and yeah. so that's that's what that is yeah i remember i wrote is very corny but i was trying out <laughs> for the basketball team in high school and i wrote perseverance on my honor because there was a the college coach at fairfield university i'd gone to like a, a basketball camp and they talked a lot about perseverance i remember mm-hmm. i wrote it i got made fun of for it a lot because it's just a corny thing yeah. to do, you know but it has always stuck with me even if it's not written on my skin yeah. that's the it's what you do. Yeah. You know, you, you, uh, Spencer Griffin was talking about, I asked him, because he's a producer, I'm like, what does it take to be a good producer? Because I don't really know about that side of stuff. And he's like, well, when people give me like a wall, I think of it as like a hurdle. And that's all perseverance is. So just finding different ways around walls or over walls and obstacles. And you keep doing whatever you, you have to do to, be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. So that's it. Wow, very inspirational. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and as a fan of tattoos, I am not. I am surprised that you don't have perseverance. Somehow. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> you know, you get the one or two that mean a lot, uh-huh. and then you just start yeah. filling yourself up with stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Mike Falzone. Tell us where we can find you on social media and um, your projects that you want to promote. Yeah, it's just Mike Falzone everywhere. Um, Twitter, Instagram. I think Mike Falzone Comedy on TikTok, if that's your stuff. Mm-hmm. I've had a YouTube channel since the beginning of time, if you like that. And then the two podcasts that you talked about, Dynamic Banter and Welcome to Our Podcast. And hopefully this uh, the surrounding gets sold into a TV show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we could do it for years and, and ruin it with notes from <laughs> network executives. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, come see me live. It's my favorite. Awesome. Very good. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Mike got to be the comedic genius that you are today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Mike Falzone. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much.